Hey guys, before we begin today, I wanted to let you know that today's podcast, while not explicit, will be graphic with information that I'm giving. This may not be suitable for younger kids. Parents, I encourage you to listen to it first. If you want your kids to hear it, that's fine. It's, but I want you to know that it's going to be a little bit more of a mature episode. So I just wanted to give you a warning. Let's begin. Hi, and welcome back to Zach's Fact Shack. We are in Easter week, and because of that, I wanted to change up a little bit about what I've been doing. You know, I've had a few uh, sports facts podcasts, and I've had a few not sports-related podcasts. Today's going to be one of those not related to sports podcasts. It's going to be related to Easter. Before we go any further, I need you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast to everybody that you know. There's some good information in all of these episodes so far. Today, I think it's going to be one of the better episodes of information anyway. I would love to hear from you guys. Reach out to me. You can find the podcast to listen to on on Apple, on Spotify, on Anchor.fm. I have other places coming up as well. I believe we're on Stitcher now, also on Amazon Podcasts. So go and look at these places, you know, You'll have lots of places you can find it and share it with your friends, however they want to listen to it. But on Anchor.fm, you can reach out to me and message me with show ideas, with topics, with information, maybe even with some critiques or corrections. I am not perfect. I understand that. I will likely make a lot of errors in the quick episodes that I have trying to condense a lot of information down for everyone to understand and be able to hear. So I may make those mistakes. Give me some grace. But absolutely, if you have information that can help me grow and to be better informed, let me know. Reach out to me there. Now, let's begin. Like I said at the beginning, this is Easter week. I am a follower of Christ. And today we're we're going to look into some of the facts and information that we have about Easter. Why do Christians celebrate Easter? What what is this? Well, the reality is that the holiday of Easter, the name and some of the practices and things like the Easter egg hunt and the Easter bunny, those are absolutely pagan rituals. Those are things that are not from Christian belief, but churches use to be able to share the message of Jesus Christ with out people outside of the church by letting them come and have fun and hang out and we go from these cool traditions these cool things these fun games characters and all of this stuff and colorful candy and eggs and all this stuff but we have a moment to tell them about the central tenet of Christianity and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ in fact one of the most prolific writers and missionaries of the church, Paul, wrote in the New Testament that without the resurrection, our faith is worthless, and that we as believers should be pitied above all. Because without the resurrection, not only are Christians suffering, 
at this time a lot of persecutions when he was writing this. Not only are they suffering a lot of persecutions, they're giving up all of the pleasures of life and living different lives. But without the resurrection, if the resurrection's not true, they've given up all of that and there's no benefit after death. That is a pretty sad and honestly pathetic place to be if the resurrection is not true. So today, I want to walk through some common arguments of why you can believe that the resurrection did happen. I know that a lot of people don't believe in a supernatural, anything that I can't touch or feel like I can't believe in, and things like that. And I understand the skepticism, but there are a lot of things that you naturally take for granted that you have never seen or touched or felt. There's no empirical evidence for you that it's true. Unless you have stepped foot in a place called France, you really, honestly, you yourself cannot say that France exists by the method that most people use to deny the supernatural. If you have to touch it, feel it, or see it with your own eyes, unless you go to France, you cannot honestly say that France exists. But yet you accept that it does off of the authority of those who have been there and have told you it exists. With that understanding that you already accept certain things on a quote-unquote faith basis because the people who have told you this exists, you believe, you have good reason to believe, you find them credible. That's the same thing I need you to do right now as we step into this and talk about the resurrection. The first thing off is the simplest and easiest thing to recognize as being true. No one really disputes it. The grave is empty. Now, we keep people argue as to why the grave is empty. They argue as to the fact that or the idea that Jesus never really died, he swooned, and therefore when he went into the grave, he wasn't actually dead. Then he got up and walked away after the fact, but he never really died. The problems with this are many, one of them being the Romans were not idiots. This was a bloody time period. We live in a world now where you could easily fool someone into thinking you're dead simply by holding your breath and closing your eyes, and someone might assume you are dead. But these are Roman soldiers tasked with a gory, bloody, violent job of killing a convicted criminal. If they did not do their job, they took the punishment. That's going to make sure you do your job. These are soldiers. They're trained to kill in battle, and in this case, with crucifixion. But let's begin with the flogging. We understand from accounts that Jesus was sentenced to flogging. We would call these the cat of nine tails. It simply is leather thongs, leather straps with pieces of bone, metal, glass, stone, things like that, embedded into the straps of the leather. 
Then the Roman soldiers, they would begin with reed rods, basically tenderizing your skin, bringing the blood to the surface through bruising by beating you repeatedly. They would then take, after your body was sufficiently welted and bruised, they would take these cat of nine tails, these whips, and they would hit you with them. At first, it doesn't sound like it'd be too bad. The reeds were solid, at least. This is just leather. These Roman soldiers were trained in how to rip your flesh and your muscle from your body. They would hit you and embed the sharp objects embedded into the leather. They would hit you with it. They would twist and pull, pulling hunks of flesh and meat with it. By the time Jesus would have been done being flogged, many accounts say that he would have likely looked as though he had hamburger for flesh. He would have been covered in blood, very dehydrated, very weak. He was then forced to carry at least the cross beam of the cross, which was probably 100 to 150 pounds, on his shoulders, up the hill, to the public place of execution known as Golgotha, or the place of the skull. This location would have been prominent and easily accessed or visible by the common people to remind them of Rome's power. On the way there, Jesus collapsed multiple times from weakness, from exhaustion, until finally he could not get up bearing the extra weight of the crossbeam. Another person was given the crossbeam and carried it forward while he continued to walk. Once he was there, Spikes were driven through his wrists, most likely between the two arm bones. These are the bones large enough and strong enough to hold a human weight. And into the feet, nailing him against the cross, they would raise it. And he would sit there, suspended by his arms, with his arms above his head, slowly running out of air as the extension of your arms over your head for that period of time would cause your chest to expand. You would suck in air, but you would not be able to breathe out air. So you could not exchange the carbon dioxide in your blood for oxygen. To do this, you would have to push up on the spikes in your feet while pulling with your arms to extend your body back up so that you could exhale and sag and breathe in again. And when you could no longer stand this, you would do it again. And you would rise, and you would exhale, and you would fall back down and breathe in again. And you would do this over and over and over until you died. All the while, your exposed flesh would be grinding into the rough texture of the wood, creating more pain and more suffering. The only hope of a reprieve would come by the breaking of your legs so that you could not stand up any longer, and you would suffocate. But until then, you would spastically try to rise and breathe in and out and in and out. It was at this time that the soldiers came because it was Passover, according to the accounts, and the Jewish leaders asked that the bodies be removed so that they would not defile their holy day. The soldiers broke the legs of two people hung to either side of Jesus, but when they came to Jesus, they realized he was dead. Now remember, they're not stupid. 
and they understand that if they get this wrong, their fate will be Jesus's fate. So to ensure that he was dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, they took a spear and shafted it into his side, reaching in and hitting his heart. We know this because of a detail that the Gospels put in place that they would have no medical knowledge of at the time and therefore would have no reason to make it up. It says that once Jesus' side was pierced, that both blood and water poured from the side. Now, this is an odd thing unless Jesus died from asphyxiation and they had ruptured the pericardial sac around his heart, which would carry a substance as far as they were concerned, looked like water. It was clear liquid, therefore it was water. Jesus was dead, not swooned, dead. And it was from this moment that Jesus was taken down by permission by two religious leaders who happened to be secret followers of Jesus. They took him and put him in a borrowed tomb and buried him there. Before they could finish the burial preparations of spices and oils and wrappings. It was Sabbath, and they could not do it. So they went home. Three days later, the women who had been following Jesus would return to the tomb to finish the burial process, only to find that a stone that had covered the tomb was rolled away. Now, the initial argument would be that, oh, his followers just took the body and then claimed that he was alive. That would make sense, except for the fact that the Pharisees feared this and asked the Romans to place elite guards outside of the tomb and to take precautions by sealing the tomb. No one was getting in or out unless you had a multitude of soldiers. You were not getting into that that tomb. But guess what? The followers of Jesus didn't have a multitude of soldiers. They would not have been able to subjugate these soldiers and steal the body. And these soldiers were not about to let this body leave and cause more trouble. Again, they did not want the same fate of this prisoner to be theirs. So how do we explain this rolled away tomb, this rolled away stone from the tomb? Well, that's simple enough. It seems that Jesus was alive again. This brings us to our next thing. We know that there were appearances claimed of Jesus by hundreds of followers. Now, many people have... issued the hypothesis of mass hallucination, that they were all hallucinating and just, uh, they thought they saw him. He wasn't really there. He was just an illusion. But that's not how mass hallucination works. Not everyone sees the same image. So if that's the case, it can't be mass hallucination of what they saw. They believed that they had seen Jesus. Hundreds of followers believed they had seen Jesus, a man who was just murdered on a cross and buried in a borrowed tomb. This is not a person you would want to claim to have seen walking around. The entire city knew who Jesus was, and they knew his fate. He was dead. You must be a crazy person for saying that he was alive. And what's worse is you must be a sympathizer with this criminal, which means that the Romans would want words with you and would likely put you to the same death. It was not in the best interest of the believers and followers of Jesus to make this up. It was not going to be good for them. In fact, we know that the apostles, the 12 leaders, 
of what would become the church, the 12 followers of Jesus, actually hid in fear in an upper room with all the doors and windows locked. They were terrified of the religious leaders who were out to get them. They were terrified that Roman soldiers were going to find them at any moment and put them to death as well. This changes overnight. Why? What makes these disciples, these believers, these followers of Jesus, go from cowards hiding in a room with locked doors to every one of them dying gruesome deaths, never once recanting their story? Now, we've all heard of people dying for what they believe in. That's not anything new. But have you ever heard someone dying for something they knew to be a lie. And I'm not saying that they're in this electric chair or that they're in a nice semi-comfortable bed and poison pumped into their arm and they slowly fall asleep and die. I'm not talking about that kind of death. I'm talking of dismemberment, disembowelment, beheadings, crucifixions, whippings, beatings, boiled in oil, run through with swords, pulled apart into pieces by wild horses. None of these deaths were pleasant. None of these deaths would have brought any comfort to their families. They weren't being paid to die. If these men had made up their story and lied about what they saw, they would not have died in these manners. And we've already said that they could not all have hallucinated the same, same thing. It's scientifically impossible for that to be the case. So either they're liars, and they're the only liars I know of in history who died such gruesome deaths, never revealing the lie, or what they said they saw, they saw. Those are the two options in this method, in this story. There's no way to get around it. When you also add in that suddenly, after Jesus' death, an entirely new era begins in the world. The church of the followers of Jesus explodes onto the scene. The truth and stories of these disciples of who Jesus was and what he did went to the ends of the earth. They went everywhere in such a way that had really never been seen before and hasn't been seen since. Again, these were cowards a few days before. Suddenly, they're boldly preaching to thousands in the center of Jerusalem where they're leader had just been killed. And they're speaking in multiple languages that everyone can hear. They were repeatedly beaten. They were arrested and imprisoned. They were killed. They were chased out of the town. And yet the church continued to grow, even as the persecutions got worse. Under Nero, believers and followers of Jesus were blamed for the burning of Rome, an act likely done by Nero himself. But instead of Nero taking the blame, he blamed the Christians, who were rounded up, tied to posts throughout Rome, doused in oil, and burned as human torches. Those that were not so lucky as to be human torches were taken to Nero's circuses and were there killed by wild beasts and gladiators. Women, children, men, young, old, it didn't matter. All of them were put to death. They never wavered. They never gave up. All because of the belief of the apostles and the disciples who had shared this truth of Jesus' resurrection. 
The disciples who had followed Jesus were Jews. They had followed the Jewish traditions all of their life. One of those traditions was that worship in their holy day every week began at sunset on Friday and went to sunset on Saturday. On this day, you rested, you went to synagogue, you learned, and you devoted the day to God. This was not the case after the disciples claimed that they saw Jesus resurrected. They changed their primary day of worship from Saturday to Sunday, on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. You see, everything about what happened to the disciples after their claim of seeing Jesus changed. Everything about the disciples changed at that moment. They gave up their families, their traditions, their beliefs, everything because of what they knew they had seen. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I can convince you of the, what I believe to be true, of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. That's not what my goal is. My goal is to tell you the information and give you the chance to either agree with it or disprove it. It's your choice. I hope that you don't ignore it, because to me, it seems a little too important to just simply ignore. Again, we're dealing with life and death. I think your choice in how you handle this is very important, and I hope, I pray that you will give this some good thought, and you'll go forward either more informed and unbelieving, or maybe, just maybe, you'll do like Iowa did and come to realize the truth. Today's message has been, or podcast has been pretty heavy. It was pretty serious, not nearly as lighthearted as most of my podcast, but I really wanted to take this time for something that I thought was very, very important. I hope that you have enjoyed this or at least found it interesting. I would love to hear from you guys. What do you think about this information? Do you have an argument for or against it? I would love to hear from you. And who knows, maybe when you reach out, maybe I will take your arguments and bring them to the podcast for others to hear. But until then, I can't wait for us to get back together, for us to learn on the next episode of Zach's Fact Shack, where we learn a lot of weird, crazy, and wacky facts. See you next time.